0: Welcome to the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church. We hope our broadcast will bless you. Our scripture reading today is taken from Micah, chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. And I'll be reading it from the New King James Version. With what shall I come before the Lord, and bow myself before the high God, Shall I come before him with burnt offerings or calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God? May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word.
1: Let's bow our heads. Father, I ask you this morning to open our hearts and our minds and fill us this morning with your spirit and help us to learn a little bit more about you and how you want us to live and what you want to do for us in our lives. In your name, amen. I appreciated when Robert called for the offering this morning that he referenced how things have changed over time. And he's right. It used to be that when I came into church, I would bring a tithe envelope that I'd put a check in or maybe some cash, and uh, that's the way that we would give our tithes and offerings. Uh and nowadays, a lot of us might give some money for the, for the children's offering, but most of the time we, we do it online and, and don't bring, bring it in. Yeah, and it, it, that's an example of something that's changed uh, in the way that we do church and, and, and do our daily lives. It wasn't too long ago when I came to church, I would bring certain things with me every time I came to church. I would bring a Sabbath school quarterly with me. And when it came time to go to Sabbath school class, I would open my quarterly and I could follow along and I could see what the teacher saw and participate in the class. I would also bring with me a Bible. Um, Usually my personal Bible had a nice leather binding. It had cross-references in the margins and I could look and see, well, where else in the Bible do they use similar language or similar words or similar texts Um, In the back of the Bible, there were often some study helps or guides. There was often a small concordance, and a concordance is a list or an index that lists where certain words are in the Bible. So if I wanted to find a where in the Bible it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and I didn't remember that it was in John 3.16, I could look for the word loved and find a list of text where that was present. And if it was a more esoteric text, then I might have to wait and use one of the more comprehensive concordances that was in the library or I had at home and, and look the text up. But that's how I would find things. And when the preacher would give a text for the day, uh, I could open my Bible and turn to that text. And if it was a large book, you would, could just flip through the Bible. And if it was Isaiah or Matthew, it was relatively easy just to flip through the Bible and uh you would find Isaiah and you could turn to the appropriate chapter and the appropriate verse would follow along. But if the text was from a smaller book, then a little bit more skill was involved and it was a little more challenging. And you had to remember what order the books were in or you had to look that up if you didn't remember it because some books like Philemon or Amos or Obadiah or Micah only would take a few pages and it would be just too easy to flip past them and you might miss the book and so it took a little more skill. Because we wanted our young people to develop the skill of using their Bibles efficiently and uh, easily and knowing where to find things in the Bible we would sometimes have drills and so we someone would read out a Bible text and um, the students would compete to see who would be the first one to find that text. Those skills are pretty much obsolete now. Uh, There are still times when I like to have a physical Bible or or read the book open, but it's been years since I routinely brought a Bible with me to church. Uh, I have an Android phone that has not only my Sabbath school lesson quarterly on it, it has the Bible in multiple versions, and if I want I can have reference books and, and other things that I can carry around in my pocket. And the skills that we once needed to rapidly navigate through the Bible are not needed in the same way that they were before. So just like we give our offerings differently, and just like we don't use a scroll or papyrus to read the Bible, uh, we're moving away from routinely using uh, physical books to look at the Bible. But I am glad that even though the skills needed to read the Bible and understand it are different, The Bible is not obsolete, and the message of the Bible is still pertinent and still relevant for us today. This morning, I want to explore one of those small books of the Bible. I invite you to turn now with me to the book of Micah. And whether you do that with your phone or a tablet or with a physical book, I'm happy either way. Uh, I'm going to take a little bit of time and just hopscotch and explore through the book of Micah and see if we can find some pearls that are relevant for you and me today. Uh, The book of Micah, I think you can make the case, is a love story of God to his people. And we'll come back and talk about that a little more. But A story about God's love for his people and how he wants to be one with his people and how he wants to have good things for his people and avoid bad things and how he wants to reconcile uh, the separation that has occurred. Uh, let's go ahead and start reading the first verse of Micah. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth during the reign of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, the vision that he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. As this text makes clear, Micah prophesied after the separation of Judah and the northern kingdoms. And you may remember, if you remember your Bible history, after the death of Solomon, uh, Judah and Benjamin broke apart from the northern tribes. There was a dispute, and instead of being one kingdom ruled by one king, uh, they became separate kingdoms. And Micah was from Judah, and the kings that are mentioned here are kings of Judah. Uh, so we see Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, um, and some of these kings were good kings, and, and some were... Some of the most evil kings that reigned. Micah was a contemporary of the prophets Isaiah, Amos, Hosea, and Jeremiah. And we can find references to some of the prophecies of Micah other places in the Bible. Uh, Micah foretells the fact that Jesus will be born in Bethlehem uh, out of one of the smallest provinces. And that uh, prophecy is repeated other places in the Bible. Micah comes from a small town called Morsheth. Some people use the term Morsheth, Gath. And there's a little bit of dispute about where exactly that town was, but consensus is it's it's a small town and it was near Philistia. Um, Scholars speculate that he was not from a prominent family. Um... Hebrews often would reference the names of their ancestors, and uh, if you read the genealogies in the Bible, there's often a little bit of difference in how they're listed for the same person. And and part of that is as they're trying to emphasize, you know, one point or another, you know, about who was important to their ancestry. But uh, Micah, it just says it was Micah from Morisheth. And so many scholars suggest that means that maybe he wasn't from a really prominent family. So he was from a small town. He wasn't from a prominent family. Uh, people often think that to do God's work, you need to be uh, an elite. You need to be from somewhere important, or you need to be somebody, somewhere important. But that's not true. The criteria for being used of God is to be willing to be used of God and to be open to following his leading. Um, the name Micah means who is like God or who is like Jehovah, or who is like Yahweh. Remember that meaning, we're going to come back to it later this morning. But with a name like that, we can surmise that Micah's parents were probably believers. They probably worshipped God. They, he was probably brought up to love and obey and appreciate God. Proverbs says that if you train up a child in the way that he should go, when he is old, he will not depart from it. One of the most important tasks we have is to train up our children and young people. Uh, It it is not true that you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but it is true that it's a lot easier to teach tricks to a younger dog. Um, What children learn when they're young is going to stay with them for the rest of their lives. In a perfect world, an entire community is involved in raising our children. So not only are parents important, and parents are the most important uh, factor in in raising children, but grandparents and aunts and uncles and friends and church members and other people are also very important in this task. Uh, I am so blessed that we have in our community the Tri-City Seventh-day Adventist School. Uh, this is an excellent example of a community working to help raise and educate Christ-centered uh, principals and, and, and our children. And the ministry that Brenda does in that school is something that's going to pay dividends for years and decades to come. Um, and there are many people that work behind Brenda to help make that possible either through their time and volunteering at the school or helping with projects uh, or through money and finances. And that is so much appreciated because uh, running that school is not something that any one or two or three people can do. And we are going to need even more help as time goes forward and you're gonna hear more about this because there are some big plans that are, yeah, foot with the school, and we have some building plans in progress, and you're going to hear a lot more about that. Um, But I want you to keep that school in your prayers and in your thoughts and in your giving plans over the next few years. Micah was a minor prophet. Now, what is a prophet? A prophet is someone who has a message from God. Now, we are fortunate that we serve a God who wants to communicate with us. When I met my wife, uh, we were working at a summer camp. I had gone to school in Michigan, and when I graduated with my bachelor's degree and went to California to pursue my education, I had a free summer. So I went to work at a summer camp in Washington State. I knew some of the staff members there. And I thought that would be a great way to spend a summer between graduation and starting further schooling. And so I worked there. And then the next year, I had some a little time off of my studies. And so I was able to come back for most, but not all, of the summer. And my current only wife is, w- w- was working there. Um, she wasn't my wife at the time. So my, my words are, are stumbling a little bit. And, and you have to be... Um, a little bit uh, forgiving of those of us who are not professional speakers and don't do this all the time. Occasionally we will mix up our words and and I am guilty of this uh, more often than I would like. But the second year I was there, my wife was working there and we developed an acquaintance and a friendship. Uh, She worked on the waterfront, so one of her tasks was to uh, clean the hot tubs and they had hot tubs that were made of redwood um and the lids were kind of heavy so i would help her lift the lids up when she cleaned the hot tubs off and um the we both liked to water ski and i was one of the uh, boat drivers and so we would sometimes get up early in the morning and go water skiing before camp started And, and so we we became more closely acquainted well at the end of the summer i had to go back to school and she was living in washington And we wanted to continue to communicate. Now, email existed in the mid-late 1980s, but it wasn't something that I had access to or was available to. And while telephones now usually have unlimited long-distance plans, that wasn't the case at that time. And so uh, I wrote letters. And if you know me, my handwriting is not very, very good at all. Uh, And I tried to write extremely neat. And after we were married, my wife said, you know, I could hardly read half the stuff that you wrote. (laughs) And and, and so when people complain about my handwriting, I say, you know, I was motivated then. And if you can't read it now, it's it's probably not going to get any better. But uh, we also talked on the telephone and I I got a job so I could pay for my phone bills because uh, I, I found a discount Uh, telephone carrier and I think I ended up paying 10 cents a minute which was cheap at that time but I still managed to rack up some pretty good bills over the time Uh, but we like to talk to each other and we like to communicate and even now when I come home from work uh, it is wonderful to sit and ask how each other's days went and to share tidbits of what happened during the day. We like to talk to each other and we serve a God who likes to talk to us and he cares about us, and um, he wants us to listen. How do we know when we hear the word of the God? Word of God. Um, are we listening? So we know His voice when he, when He speaks to us. Um, when He speaks to us, how will we respond? Are we willing to be open to what He has to say to us? Um when God gives a message to his prophets, sometimes it is a message of encouragement. Continue the course. You're doing the right thing. Don't give up. Sometimes it's a nudge. You're doing good, but you could do a little better in this area. And sometimes it's an outright admonishment. You know, you are doing wrong. If you keep doing this, something bad is going to happen to you. Um Hebrews 12, 5 and 6 says that God chastens or disciplines those that he loves. My son, do not despair the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Have you ever seen parents who have children... And their philosophy is is that children should do whatever they please, and we really shouldn't interfere with what a child wants to do. And if you've seen that, you know that over time, that can be a recipe for disaster. Uh, children need to be instructed and guided, and we need to be instructed and guided. And if you are a parent, you know that... There are different techniques you use to guide and instruct and encourage children. And some techniques work really, really good for one kid. And that same technique will just backfire and not work at all for other kids. So one child you might look at and say, don't do that anymore. And they just melt and, and, and stop doing that. Um, my, my kids didn't tend to respond that way for, for most things. But, but there are kids that do that. Uh, uh, Other kids might say, well, you don't want me to do that. That's exactly what I want to do. And so you have to use other techniques. And most parents will use trial and error and try one thing and find out, well, that doesn't work so well. Let's try something else. And uh, unfortunately, children are always going to push and test the limits. And that's just the process of life. But parents that love their children try and find loving and kind methods to help their children grow so they can make good decisions over life. It's not that a parent really wants to control their children or be controlling or be a micromanager. They want their children to grow up and to learn to make good decisions and because we are not going to be there all their lives and they are going to have to make their own decisions themselves later on and so we want them to do that. And of course part of that process is allowing our children to make mistakes. Uh, because when they're young, we're going to probably make almost all the decisions for our children ourselves. But as they get older, if we keep making all the decisions, they're not going to learn how to make decisions. And so uh, we have to allow them to make decisions. And when people make decisions, they will, by definition, make wrong ones occasionally. And that's just like God. You know, God does not force us to do things. He could have made us all as uh robots and where we were programmed to do things as we wanted. But God said, no, I want to make people that can choose and talk and interact and have true companionship with me, and I am going to give them the freedom to reject me and to make wrong decisions. So, when... um, Just a second here, I gotta make sure I have my... Okay. When uh, God's people make wrong decisions, God will often send a prophet to correct them. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear somebody saying, you're not doing something right... uh, it sometimes rubs me the wrong way. Now, I've tried to be mature in life and realize, you know, you really want to know when you're not doing something right. And so usually I can tamp down my natural instinct to say, well, of course, everything I do is perfect. And try and listen and try and modify my behavior and say, well, you know, maybe you really could do something a little different. But when prophets come and talk with a message of reproof or instruction, That message is not always popular, and there may be a a tendency to attack the messenger. So, a good example of this is found in the book of Jeremiah, and you can turn to Jeremiah 26 if you want, but I'm going to just read a little bit there. Uh, And this is talking about a prophecy that Jeremiah gave, and it says, Early in the reign of Jehoiakim. King of Josiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Stand in the courtyard of the Lord's house and speak to all the people of the towns of Judah who come and worship in this house of the Lord. Tell them everything I command you. Do not omit a word. Perhaps they will listen and each will turn from their evil ways. Then I will relent and will not inflict on them the disaster that I was planning because of the evil they have done. "'Say to them, this is what the Lord says. "'If you do not listen to me and follow my law, "'which I have set before you, "'and if you do not listen to the words of my servants, "'the prophets, which whom I have sent to you again and again, "'though you have not listened, "'then I will make this house like Shiloh "'and the city a curse among the nations of the earth. "'The priests, the prophets, and all the people have heard "'Jeremiah speak these words in the house of the Lord. "'But as soon as Jeremiah finished telling the people "'everything the Lord had commanded him to say, "'the priests, the prophets, and all the people seized him "'and said, "'You must die.'" Why do you prophesy in the Lord's name that this house will be like Shiloh, and this city will be desolate and deserted, and all the people crowded around Jeremiah in the house of the Lord? So this is a dangerous situation. Jeremiah was doing exactly what the Lord said. And as he followed the Lord's instructions, people said, this is wrong. Uh, You're going to die. We're going to kill you. Um... Fortunately, in this situation, calm our heads prevailed. And some people said, you know, Micah made this same prophecy, which he actually did. And uh, he prophesied this. That this is the true message from the Lord, and they didn't kill Jeremiah. But it goes to show some of the pitfalls that can befall the prophets of God when they want to give a message that God directs them to give, that may be unpopular. Um, We'll come back to that. So the first book, the first chapter of Micah, (coughs) reveals Micah saying you know, God's going to judge you, you've done wrong, and these are some of the bad things that are going to happen to you. And I'm going to just read a little bit of this here for you. Um, Micah, like many Hebrew writers, and I have many skills, but I'm not a linguist, and I'm not a biblical language scholar, but people who are say that Micah likes to use plays on words. And so... Some of these words sound like other words, and I'm going to read a little bit. And I'm going to point out some examples of where he does this. So if you go to uh, the first chapter of Micah in verse 7, he's talking about, you know, he will... Verse 6, he says, I'll make Samaria a heap of rubble. And I'm jumping down to verse 7, and all her idols will be broken in pieces. Um... And then go to verse nine, and I 'm jumping around a little bit. It says for Samaria 's plague is incurable as it spread to Judah. It has reached the very gate of my people, even to Jerusalem itself and I'm going to stop here a second. you know Micah was from a small town, but much of his message was from for the big cities of Jerusalem and Samaria, and there is a tendency to say, you know the cities are evil places, and we should avoid the cities and Not worry about what goes on there. But in this day and age, as in Micah's day and age, the city is where the primary culture and function of a country often resides. And if we ignore people who live in cities, we are going to ignore the vast majority of people uh, who God wants to reach. So, Going on in verse 10, it says, Tell it not in Gath, weep not at all. And Beth Oprah, roll in the dust. Pass by naked and in shame, you who live in Sephir. Those who live in Zanan will will not come out. Beth Israel is in mourning, it no longer protects you. Those who live in Morath writhe in pain, waiting for relief, because disaster has come from the Lord, even to the gate of Jerusalem. You who live in Lachish, harness fast horses to the chariot. You who are the sin of the daughter of Zion begun, for the transgressions of Israel were found in you. Therefore you will give parting gifts to Morish Gath, the town of Exib will prove deceptive to the kings of Israel. I will bring a conqueror against you who live in Morisheth. What he's doing here is the word Gath, for example, sounds in Hebrew like the word for dust. Or like tell, sorry. So it says tell it not in Gath, it sounds like tell it not in tell. Beth Oprah sounds like, means the house of dust. So in the house of dust, roll in the dust. Um, In um, Akzib, it means deception. So the town of deception will prove deceptive to the kings of Israel. So it's just a play on words that Micah is doing, uh, prophesying the disaster that is going to come uh, to these towns and places if they do not repent. If we go to chapter 3 of Micah, Micah starts to enumerate what some of these sins are. And the book of Micah is organized as a series of oracles or sermons. And so there's some repeat in this and I'm going to combine and mix together a little bit of some of these, these things. But Micah especially has words for the leaders and the elites uh, and, the, and the dwellers of the cities. So he says, Then said I, listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel. Should you not embrace justice, you who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh and strip, <coughs> Excuse me. And strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces and will chop them up like meat for the pain, like the flesh for the pot. Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. At that time, he will hide his face from them because of the evil that they have done. If we go to... He then starts talking about the false prophets. We mentioned how... The being a prophet could make you very unpopular if you're preaching God's true message. But, like in many cases, there were prophets who were willing to prophesy good things. Uh, in medicine, there are certainly, and in science, there are areas where there are disputes. We aren't sure; the data isn't clear. You know, this is the right way to treat this disease, or this is the wrong way. And so there are areas where there are certainly questions about what the right treatment is. There are some areas in medicine where the data is fairly overwhelming that one treatment is superior to another. You know, we may have a double-blind, randomized, prospective-controlled study that shows people with this disease who are given this medication, their death rate is half that of somebody who doesn't take the medication or takes a sugar pill. And in those cases probably most people that have that disease should be on the medication that cuts their death rate in half unless there's a good reason, you know, maybe side effects or some other reason not to be on it. Um and of course there's lots of areas in medicine where we don't have that kind of data, but in areas where we do, the wise thing to do is to follow the best data and advice that we have. And Sometimes someone will come in and they will have a serious disease or cancer and They will say well, I don't want that because I don't have side effects And of course people always have a right to choose what kind of treatment they want to have and if you want to refuse treatment and, and, and not have it that that's a perfect right that people have and, and there's good reasons why people sometimes will refuse a, a, a effective treatment But sometimes they will say, well, I want to try this treatment. And a false prophet has said, this treatment will cure you when it won't do that. So back in the 1970s, there was a medication that was made from apricot pits called Lantrel, And it was purported to be able to cure cancer. That would be great, um, because cancer is a big problem. And while we can cure some cancers, some we can't. And the problem is, is there was no data to show that Laetrile worked. And, you know, just like any disease, sometimes people will spontaneously get better for different things like that. But if you did trials or looked at things, there was no evidence that Laetrile would improve the outcomes of people that had cancer. And yet, sometimes people would say, well, I don't care, I want to have this. And uh, because it wasn't approved in the United States, people would sometimes travel to Mexico. And interestingly enough, even Mexico has made that drug uh, not approved currently. But um, uh, sometimes people would die because they followed the teachings of a false prophet. Somebody that knew better and would say, well, this will cure you even when it really wouldn't. And that's a tragic situation in the theological realm sometimes there are false prophets who will say peace peace when there is is not peace and uh Micah talks about this uh later on in uh, chapter 3 i think yes In in verse five, as for the prophets who lead my people astray, if they proclaim peace that they have something to eat, but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them, therefore a night will come over you without visions and darkness without divination. The sun will set for the prophets and the day will go dark for them. Um, Micah preached out against the teachings of these false prophets. And he talks about her leaders will judge for a bribe, her priests will teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. And, and Micah said, This is wrong and this shouldn't happen. And um, there is a need for people who are willing to say, give bad news. Have you ever worked for an organization that did not want to hear bad news? Um, you know, sometimes people say, If it's not good news, I don't want to hear about it. Um, You can run an organization for a long time that way, but eventually it tends to catch up with you because you're going to have a problem that will pop up that will not be addressed because nobody wants to hear about the problem. It's much better to talk about bad news and to find the best way to deal with the problem than to ignore it during the Gulf War. Uh, There was debate about how much uh, troops were going to be needed to keep the peace after the war. And one prominent leader said, well, we're going to need at least 150,000 troops to keep the peace after the the war. And that wasn't what people wanted to say. And so they, they fired him. And it turned out that eventually they probably were going to need about that many troops. So there are consequences to following bad theology and not dealing with bad news. Um, I am blessed that we live in the United States of America uh, because for the most part this is a country that follows the rule of law. And Nothing is ever perfect, but for the most part, laws apply to you no matter what your position, whether you 're the mayor or the senator or the congressman or um, even the President of the United states um, you know a, a number of years ago, there was a mayor in Detroit uh, who it was alleged uh, was involved in kickback schemes and other problems and I had friends who would have businesses, and they said, well, when I go to Detroit, people say to me, if you want business here, you've got to give some money back to to, to me to to do business. And it corrupted the whole process. And um, Detroit didn't have a lot of money and was having difficulty providing basic city services at that time. And so to have somebody skim money off the top of the little money they had hurt not just the people that were doing business, but all the citizens of the the towns. And eventually there was a trial and a conviction, and um, one hopes that less of that is going on. And, And Micah was talking out about the corruption that took place in Judah and and Israel and against the judges that would um, take bribes and against the false prophets and against people that would take people's houses just because they could. Sometimes people say that as Christians we should only focus on the gospel. You know, we should talk and preach Christ and we shouldn't worry about the effects of injustice or poverty or things that aren't directly related to salvation? And my answer is is those people probably don't understand the book of Micah because Micah directly preached out against the abuses that were taking place in his time. There's another prophet uh, that talks about the best way to um, the way that Jesus worked to to meet people's needs, and um, just a second here, I mislaid my quote. But it's from the a quote from the ministry of healing. It says, uh, and "I'm going to have to paraphrase here because I don't have it immediately in front of me." But Jesus worked and spent time among the people, and he learned to find out what their felt needs were and learned to meet them and became friends with them. And once he gained their trust and became friends and dealt with their needs, then he said, follow me. Uh, When people are hungry, when people are oppressed, when people don't have housing, uh, they are not always open to spending time thinking about other things because uh, they are distracted And in Matthew, when Christ talks about the parable of the sheep and the goats, uh, he says, you know, I was in sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. God directly commands us to be concerned about the physical, emotional, and other needs of those around us. Um... So Micah continues on and in, in chapter 4 you know he talks about what his goal is and, and what the what he wants and he wants a relationship with his people he wants a people who will follow him who will worship him, and who walk in his ways. Um, they will beat their swords into plowshares, or their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. And the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. I will gather the lame. I will assemble the exiles and those that have been brought to grief to make my lame remnant. Parents want good things for their um, children. God wants good things for His people. The in chapter six, Micah kind of has a a rhetorical legal case that he brings out. He says, listen to what the Lord says. And and he talks about, you know, what has God done? How how has he uh, treated the children of Israel? How how has he treated his people? And as here, you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Uh, The Lord has a case against his people. He's allowed you to charge... against Israel, is my people. What have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. That's a good thing. I sent Moses to lead you, and also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted, and what Balaam, son of Boar answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? He's asking shall I come with him with burnt offerings with the calves a year old will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams with ten thousands of rivers of oil shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul these were things that other gods demanded and one of the problems that Micah has pointed out earlier is is that God's people have turned and worshipped other gods, and gods that wanted child sacrifice, gods that wanted, you know, vast things. And those other gods did not lead to true happiness or to joy. And then it goes on and says, And what does the Lord require of you? He has shown the O man what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's one of my favorite texts in the whole Bible. It sums up, I think, very succinctly what God offers and wants for, for us. Um, to act justly. If if we live in a society where there is no justice, then a lot of bad things happen. You know, if you have judges that can be bought, if you have um, corruption that, that takes place, that hurts everybody. Um, you know, corrupt rulers sometimes will appoint somebody who's not competent to a position. Um... Not because they're good at it, but because they're going to be loyal to that ruler. A incompetent person who's in a very good job is going to have a very hard time getting another job from anybody else. And and so their loyalty is going to be to that corrupt ruler. But then when they need to exercise the duties of their office and they don't know what they're doing, they hurt people. And... God wants us to live in a just society. In but under the rule of law, we also recognize that we've all sinned. And every one of us has made mistakes, and every one of us has done things that are wrong. And under the penalty of the law, we would all be sentenced to death. And this is where the character of God and his love of mercy comes through. Because God wants justice and he wants what's right, but he also wants to save us all. And God made a plan when man chose to depart from God's guidance to redeem us and to bring us back. And it is a free gift that we are not, did not earn and are not in, entitled to, but it is free for accepting. And it, it is a wonderful thing. And when we recognize the gift that God has given to us, it helps us to realize and develop the deep humility that you need to walk with God. Because there's a tendency to think that I've done right and I've done well and I deserve what I have. But the truth is is that all of us uh, deserve nothing. And all of us are here only because of the grace of God. The name Micah means who is like God. And Micah does another play on words with his name if, in chapter 7. If you go to verse 18, it says, who is, like the, who is a God like thee, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. <clears throat> he will again have compassion upon us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot Thou wilt cast out all our sins into the depths of the sea. Thou wilt show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as thou hast sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Who is like God? There is none like him. We are so fortunate to have somebody who loves us, who cares for us, who wants what's best for us, and who is willing to forgive and reach out again and again and again when we fall short. And I thank God every day for his mercy to us.
0: You have been listening to the broadcast from the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church at 2420 East Ashman in Midland, Michigan. If you are in the area, we cordially invite you to visit our church Saturday mornings. If you are a distance away, we encourage you to continue visiting our website and weekly podcast at midlandsda.org.